0: It's that stack of books with Nancy Pearl, that's me, and
1: Steve Scher, that's me, and all you people at the Bryant Corner Cafe on the quarter of 32nd and 65th in the Ravenna Bryant neighborhood of Seattle.
0: And it's the third of the three hottest days in the history of Seattle.
1: Which I I like.
0: In in April. In in April, yeah. In April.
1: But who knows? Uh, right. Yeah, and there's a lot of people ordering iced coffees and half-priced cookies. And have you noticed all the construction? It's more done than ever. Uh, all right, we haven't been here in a long time. Why is that?
0: Well, I was, I was traveling. I went to uh, Providence, Rhode Island, where my youngest daughter's play that she wrote was put on by Trinity Repertory Theater in Providence. And um, we saw three performances of it. Uh, and it's absolutely wonderful, and I say that not as a mother, but as someone who appreciates the kind of theater where you break the fourth
1: wall. Um well, which how is, is she what doing that? How are they breaking the fourth wall?
0: Well, well, the book, the play is is called Arnie Lewis and Bob, and in the first scene, and it's about three men in their s- late 60s and 70s, and. Um, in the, and they're her uncles, basically. Katie's uncles and, they're, and, um, and a cousin. And in the first scene, Lewis is not... Uh, Lewis is, is kind of has a little b- a breakdown in the first scene. I mean, the three men, when, you, when the curtain goes up, the three men are there. And, but before the curtain goes up, Katie is introduced, she's sitting in the audience, and she's introduced as the author. And then the play begins, and it, very shortly into the first, the first act, Lewis has this breakdown and is, you know, sort of retreats into the corner of the stage and is huddled, you know, kind of having a a nervous breakdown. And then nothing happens for minutes and the audience starts to get restless. And then Katie stands up and says... Can you put the house lights up, she says. It appears that Lewis can't carry the play forward, so I'm going to take this opportunity to show you around the set, which is my grandparents' set, she says. And then it goes on from there.
1: Oh, that's cool. It's so wonderful.
0: It is so wonderful.
1: That's very cool. I wish
0: it would come here. I wish wish the rep would bring it here or somebody.
1: What was that again?
0: I wish the Seattle rep would bring it here or somebody. What's the name of it? The name of it is Arnie. Lewis and Bob. No commas. <laughs> Thank you for indulging me, Steve.
1: Yeah, so now we're back. Well, not an indulgence. It's literature. So now we're back, and um, that you wanted to have a topic that was just sort of friendly to, to get us back into yeah, our the yeah. scheme of things. Yes, yeah, so we wouldn't... Swing of things.
0: Into, right. But I have to begin by saying that yesterday the Pulitzer Prizes were announced. And the uh, Pulitzer Prize for fiction is a novel that I talked about um, when it came out called The Sympathizer by a Vietnamese, now Vietnamese American writer, um, which is set right after uh, the Vietnam War. It opens on the day that that the U.S. is um, the last helicopters go out from the embassy. And it's, 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 so, it's very funny, it's tragic, it's brilliant, and it's unforgettable. Um, it's so deserving of, of the Pulitzer. I was thrilled for him.
1: I'm gonna make my life easier.
0: Okay, oh, cause then you have to do all that editing. Okay, yes.
1: Um, when you first mentioned that book, to try to get more traffic for the podcast one thing you do is to find somebody who's mentioned and find their Twitter feed and then tell them that that uh, you know Nancy Pearl liked this book and so I found his Twitter feed and and sent him that or you know he saw that link and he wrote back and said oh that's great Nancy Pearl loved my book I really like Nancy Pearl and, and he was very excited about that he was part of that, that that conversation and so that's exciting
0: well when I tweeted out this morning how thrilled I was that it had won um, his editor tweeted back and said um, that, it, that they had all heard you know everybody in the office had heard the, the, the review that I had done of that here and they just were thrilled
1: that's great That's great because that's what matters. Yes, Um, not necessarily a book that makes you happy to read, but maybe maybe in some ways. No, not at all. Well, it
0: makes you happy to read (laughs) in the sense that it's so well written, so you don't have to like grimace at at, you know grammatical mistakes or stuff like that that you wish had been changed, which always makes me feel a little ill. I mean, I'm very happy to find a wonderfully written book, but it isn't a book that that I would read in November in Seattle. You know, I think it's a book to read now.
1: Oh, when when you when there's a little bit of sun yeah. shining, so you yeah. feel a little better about things. Right, I see. Yes, I see. So, what prompted this title, this 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 topic? Oh, the sympathizer. The yeah, sympathizer. The sympathizer is yeah. the name of that book. And how do right. you spell his last name?
0: N G U Y E N, Viet Tan Nguyen.
1: Nguyen. Yeah. So, what prompted this these books and this topic? Well,
0: I I, I was. I, I've been doing a lot of going back, looking, well, here, I dusted the shelves, my bookshelves, in the, in, in the living room and, and rediscovered a whole bunch of books that, <laughs> in the course of the dusting and the spraying of the wood stuff. And so I found, well, I mean, I picked up one of my favorite books, which, which does always make me happy to read it. And it's called, When Wanderers Cease to Roam, A Traveler's Journey of Staying Put. And it's by a woman named Vivian Swift, who was um, a very parapet- had a very peripatetic life. Um, I think she had, I don't know, 23, 23 different houses in 20 years or something like that. But then she decided, for various reasons, that she would settle down in a small town on Long Island, right on the water. And she goes through a year. This is a year of her life in in um, in that house. And her, her watercolors. She's a self-taught watercolorist, um, as she explains it. And these were all done on um, like three by five cards. And I. I she, One of of my favorite pictures that she does in here is during the winter, she has drawn all the mittens that she finds. (laughs) She's picked up mittens all over, and I I have started doing that, all the lost mittens. And it's just the pictures are just, I, I love the way she writes. I love these pictures, and I just, it's hard not to smile when I'm reading this book. And she has a brand new book out, which, which I'll bring um, next week or the week after as well. But this one is so, so wonderful. Uh, maybe I shall pass it around because yeah. I know some of you would really
2: enjoy reading
1: pass it. Pass that. Pass that around. All right, hold off on that one. Yeah. Rita, did you come up with a book that makes you happy?
2: Me already? Okay.
1: That's the, that's the danger of sitting next to me.
2: I didn't know that and i have so much to say that i hope that you would leave me for the end anyway <laughs> the book that made me very happy to read in the last few years it's a little bit difficult to describe because actually it's a it's a book uh, about science but it's uh, written in uh, form of the fiction the name of the book is P, phi p-h-i the like the letter Greek letter, and uh, subtitle the voyage from the brain to the soul. So this guy, his name is um, Giulio Tononi. He's a writer for the Scientific American, by the way. He's very well known. And then he invented this character, this fictional character, who is Galileo. And then it makes Galileo to drive into a dream in, uh, state and in this state he starts to uh, to, uh, talk to people uh, from the past and from the future I mean the future for him right not for us so he meets for example Copernicus and then uh, the French dreamer who is the we know then that is the you know the French dreamer and there are other two fictional characters just I love them one is called freak which we know later on that is Francis Crick uh-huh. Because, yeah did you read yeah, it is a wonderful book and the other character is a uh, alturi alturi is the mathematician alan Turing. so they go on and they meet each character is um it's kind of a fictional dialogue between galileo and these these people and he asked galileo is learning about the nature of consciousness because this is the, the idea to to explain what is the consciousness after all um, well, we keep learning at the same time. And it has art, beautiful glossy pictures, mostly they are renaissance pictures at the end of the chapter, that metaphorically represent each state of the brain or brain disease or something like that. It's just very entertaining. I,
1: I love that that's the book that makes you happy. It's so cool. Yes. This, this guy is the David P. White Professor of Sleep Medicine and the distinguished chair in Consciousness Science at the University of Wisconsin. That's quite a, that's quite a mouthful.
2: Oh, you have to read it. I mean, it's just, uh, it's like a story. It's a story, yeah. That's great. Yeah, I love
1: it. That's great. That's a good start. Anybody else have a book that makes them happy? Judy.
3: Well, I have to go after Rita because the book that I decided to talk about at least first um, that makes me happy is the book written by Rita we're Kala (laughs) because um, some of you may remember that uh, oh well I'll get to that in a moment but some months ago um, she came to book group and told us all that a book that had been published already in Spain was coming out in English in this country called The Encounter and I went to a reading where she gave a lot of very interesting background which helped read the book but you don't have to know the background to enjoy the book but it made me happy for a few reasons number one because it's so much fun to read a book by somebody I am getting to know um, number two because the topics are so fascinating and it takes play well it it focuses on two journeys one of a teen an American teenager who lives in San Diego is adopted clearly of Hispanic origin, um, raised by American parents, although the father is of Spanish ethnicity, and um, his journey is to find his adoptive mother. Um, He has just a tiny, tiny bit of information about her, so he leaves San Diego on his own when he's 16, I believe, 17 just turned 17, however, and um, journeys to Mexico and then Central America and then ultimately South America to find his mother. And the other journey is of a younger um, girl, um, Rosa, right? And she leaves her home in Ecuador Um, in order to come to the United States to find her mother who has years before come illegally to the United States to make money to send back to the family and it's the book traces both their journeys Um, they do overlap at a certain point and you learn so much about the plight of immigrants of the um, horrific environmental catastrophe that the oil companies have created in the Amazon and all sorts of other linked um, real situations. And it's just fascinating. And ultimately, I'm happy to say, and this is one more reason it made me happy, it has a happy ending (laughs) after many tribulations and trials.
1: All right, well, we got to give it up to you for that then. <laughs> yeah. That's very good. I have to give it up to you for being the writer.
2: Well, it made her happy because the book is a little bit uh, better than reality. Actually, reality is, is worse. Yes.
1: yes. Well, yes. reality is worse, Rita. Yeah. <laughs> yes. That's why we read, isn't it? That is. Sometimes? True.
4: Yep, yep.
0: Yeah. What about down here? Yeah. Anybody got a yeah. book
1: that makes them happy to read? Nola. Allow me.
5: Thank you. Um, I, I love to read Edward Gorey. He always, <laughs> and I love, and I reread all the time, as everybody does Jeeves and Wooster, Mara Coleman's books, which that reminded me uh-huh. of tremendously, and. Um, and not necessarily just a book, but I, I like to read uh, poetry. It's like uh, giving my brain a bath sometimes, you know, from all of the stuff. But some, you didn't, there's you didn't, so many. You didn't hmm? say your name. Nola. N-O-L-A.
1: That's good you're spelling it. <laughs> like what poet?
5: I like uh, William Stafford. Robert Service is fun. And uh, Cummings, oh, just Wordsworth, really, just a variety. I like anthologies a lot because it's just, they're, they're a lot more fun to me.
1: You got any service coming to mind right now you can share with us?
5: Oh, let's see, my dad knew all of them. The What was, the, what was his name? Sam McGee. Sam McGee, that was a. I I went to bed with that for years and years with my dad reciting it, but I, I can't do it.
0: I put you on the spot. Who's the poet who wrote Little Orphan Annie? That wasn't Robert. James Wicom Riley. Oh, James Wicom Riley, right. Yeah. 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 That's a,
4: yeah, okay.
1: It's good. Anybody else? Book that makes me happy? Say your name for me.
4: I'm Dina, um, and I've got two books but I'll start with the nonfiction it's been around for a while no biking in the house without a helmet by Melissa Faye Green and she had biological children of her own had a miscarriage and wanted more children so they started by adopting can't remember if it was Romania or Bulgaria and then from Ethiopia um, and mixed it in with their house she's a journalist by profession and wrote really well um, she's also Jewish and wanted to raise the children as Jewish, so she wanted them to also know about their own cultural background. They knew nothing about adoption when they started, and the title helps you understand some of the craziness of it, but how she learned about their backgrounds, helping them to understand it, and making them all stronger people was just heartwarming to me.
1: Yeah, Yes, yes. How, how did it make you happy?
4: It was a very positive experience to see how with the... She never had a problem in a sense that she couldn't move forward and work with everybody on her flexibility and the end results and dealing with what, what happened from that too. I think I really love books that teach about culture and help me to understand them and bring cultures closer together. The other book I just read was The Gilded Hour by Sarah Donati which is set in 1883 in New York and it focuses around two cousins, two women cousins who were doctors and about New York in that time, and the police department, and the city, how it's growing. And two women in that time were doctors, were amazing. So just learning about that, seeing how they went, it's fiction. It gave some very positive things along the bumpy road. It just was, it made me smile. Yeah,
1: yeah. Along the bumpy road of our culture.
0: Melissa Melissa Faye Green has a really early book that she wrote in 1991 called Praying for Sheetrock. Have you read that, Steve? Yeah, do you remember that book? It was wonderful. Steve, you would like it. Um, it's about the, the <coughs> excuse me, it's described on Goodreads as the political awakening of a small black community. Um, she did a great job. It was an award winner and we got lots of prizes when it came out. I'd recommend Praying for Sheetrock. Sheet, Sheetrock.
1: Praying for Sheetrock.
0: Um, this is Susie in 1999 before so much attention was being paid to living in the moment uh, I discovered a book that was really at the forefront of that and it was translated from French and the title is we could almost eat outside and it's just a celebration that I enjoy rereading of life's sweet pleasures and so it gives me uh, pleasure to read it more recently I I don't usually read books more than once because there are so many. But I could perhaps consider rereading Wolf Hall and bring out the bodies just for the language of them. They're so beautiful, they make me happy. Well,
1: Wolf Hall, that makes you happy?
2: Oh, yes,
0: it does. <coughs> and bring out the bodies, too.
6: <laughs> and
5: the, the eating outside reminded me of how much MFK Fisher's books are you can just read those over and over and you just disappear
1: that's fun that's great i'm coming down here because our friend amy radles here amy i'm putting you on the spot hi amy
3: Hi. do you have any
1: books that make you happy
3: Um, You've probably talked about the Neapolitan series already here by Elena Ferrante. I just finished the second book last night and she brought back this character in this perfect moment and I kind of shouted at the end of the, when I got to the last paragraph because I just thought she tied it up like so perfectly. So that's just book two out of four, I think. So it's an exciting, it's a totally different, it's about Italy, Naples and the 50s and 60s, but it also feels very much something I can appreciate here about someone trying to get an education when they're coming from a background where no one expects them to and how hard that can be. So it gives me insight into people here who are trying to navigate that too. So it's a really rich, it's a great ride.
1: I I love the idea that you shout it out.
3: I did. I did. That's rare. But I just was like, it was like the perfect. I was so excited. So.
1: <laughs> I think that's great. What's, what, how come, the, why is that book here? When oh, you have to say your name.
6: Um, I'm Marsha, and it's here because I'm reading it. And it's, <laughs> it's about, uh, What's it called? The Notorious RBG, The Life and Times of Ruth Bader Ginsburg, and uh, she's a Brooklyn girl, just like I am. So I identify a lot uh, with her. She grew. Where'd, you, went where'd to your same Brooklyn? Place?
1: Where'd your Brooklyn accent go?
6: I, went? Really? <laughs> I, I don't think it went anywhere. But um, this is—it's fun. It's interesting. It's sad. It's all about her beliefs, and her beliefs follow her life and what it was like to be a woman. Trying to go to law school, trying to get in a school um, where they hardly ever took any women. Um, it's about equality in our society and how she lived that with her husband, who was also attorney, an attorney, and supported her. And um, it's it's heartwarming as far as she lived the life she believes in, yeah. and the reproductive freedom, all of these things that were coming when she first joined and she, uh, she's still fighting for right now because there are people that want to take that away.
1: So I have to press you why does it make you happy?
6: <laughs> because she's still in there. Um, most of the laws are still there, although they've tried to play around a lot with the uh, voting uh, registration and that's you know she keeps fighting and people keep saying, why don't you retire? because then they could get a younger person who could keep fighting for longer, but she actually keeps working and I don't know that she could be replaced. You know, so. And that's
1: not how the Supreme Court rolls. Right, (laughs) (laughs) Well, I guess except for Sandra Day O'Connor.
6: Sandra Day O'Connor was the first and she and Sandra Day O'Connor had a very, very close relationship. And when Sandra Day O'Connor left, She felt, she was the only woman, she actually felt lonely, she said. And people have said, well, how many women should be in the Supreme Court? And she said, they all should be. They've been men all this time, so why
1: not have all women? I I can't remember, is it Ginsburg who said she was good friends with Scalia?
0: She was, yeah, personal friends. They went to the the opera together. They
6: were opera buffs and personal friends, but they were not, anywhere near each
1: other, as far as their beliefs, so. Anybody else, books, making you happy? Nothing? No, don't come to you? Oh, you guys are all being too shy. Fine, fine. Well, you'll just have to wait there, Judy, because I'm gonna give mine, since all you people are being so darn shy. Uh, Whenever I need something to turn to to make me happy, I turn to James Thurber, because I, I think what you said? This book, Thurber Carnival, which is from 1941 or two, I can't remember. Uh, 40, 40. I guess it all, made it all the way to 45. This edition still has in the in the front of it. Um, this book is complete and unabridged in contents and manufactured in strict conformity with government regulations for saving paper. Oh. Uh, and I used to always read this book when I was little, because Thur- all of Thurber's cartoons are in here, and a whole bunch of poetry that he illustrated, uh, including uh, Henry Wadsworth Longfellow's uh, Excelsior. But I, so Nancy said this, so I, just had to re- I have to read just one paragraph, because I think Thurber was hilarious. And, so, and, and I had an assignment, so I came prepared. Um, it's this story about this handyman that works, used to work for him who he never understands and he thinks is the title is of the story is the black magic of Barney Haller and uh, I'll just I just wanna read this one short paragraph on this hot morning when I saw Barney coming along with his faithful storm trudging behind him he felt he was like carrying clouds above his head I went back frowningly to my copy of Swan's Way <laughs> I hope that Barney seeing me absorbed in a book would pass by without saying anything I read I myself seemed actually to have become the subject of my book, a church, a quartet, the rivalry between Francis <laughs> I and Charles V. I could feel Barney standing, looking at me, but I didn't look at him. This morning, and bye said Barney, I go hun Gratches in de woods." That's fine, I said, turning a page and pretending to be in ghost and reading. Barney walked on. And then I thought. By and by I go hunt grotches the woods. if you are susceptible to such things, it is not difficult to visualize the grotches. They fluttered into my mind, (laughs) ugly little creatures about the size of whippoorwills only covered with blood and honey and the scrapings of church bells. Grotches, who and what, I wondered, really was this thing in the form of a hired man that kept anointing me ominously and passing with abracadabra.
0: But, that, it, but he's it, funny. yeah. But it is interesting <laughs> that non-funny books can make you happy for you know for I mean not it, not funny. It, it's interesting to me that, that
1: you know. Yeah, all these books we've heard about are books right. that have instilled folks with confidence and hope. Right. I guess that's happy.
0: Better than most.
1: Better than most days. What's that?
0: Believe me, the sympathizer will by, not make by you happy Win will not make you will not inspire you with confidence and hope. For the, for the good of the world to come. Um, so the other book I brought, uh, I brought actually for Steve because, um, because I knew he would like this book. Um, this, uh, several years ago, a man named Thomas Pakenham, who's um, a British writer, uh, whose way earlier book is called The Scramble for Africa. It's a history of the African um, settlements by Europeans. Um, did a book called Meetings with Remarkable Trees. And it is all about its photographs and his journey to look at these remarkable trees in... um, The first one was just Britain and England and Ireland. And then a sequel... And Steve, Steve, you you interviewed him, you think, for that book? Yeah, yeah. Yeah, yeah. Back in the day. So then he has a new book that's just been... I believe reissued but I'm not sure Um, I mean that is this might be new and it might be a reissue it's called remarkable trees of the world and this includes trees and his meetings with them from all over so um, including the Olympic Peninsula in 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 our beloved state of Washington it, it's just—I mean, the, first of all, the pictures are just amazing. But it's so interesting to hear what he says about the trees and the people that he meets there, and just the trees themselves. I mean, I mean, just gives you a sense of of the varieties of nature. Um, and I'm not a big nature person. I mean, personally, I'd, I'd like nature on the outside and me on the inside, but. Um, Uh, But 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 his books I just think are fabulous.
1: Yeah, and that would make me happy just looking at that and seeing the next huge tree that he's remarking on. Yes. Yeah, those are great and great pictures.
0: Amazing pictures, and you know some of these trees are, you know, twelve hundred years old, two thousand years old, and and have survived Mm
3: -hmm. and. Yeah. Yeah. Should I pass this one around?
1: Yes, you you should. All right, Judy, what was your what was your other book?
3: So those of you who know me know that I love history and great piece of nonfiction that I read recently uh, for another book group uh, that every single person in the group loved, which is unusual, right, was called The Black Count by Tom, I think his name is Rice. And it's about the father of Alexandre Dumas-Pere, who was born to a French aristocrat, aristocratic father and his black Haitian slave. And um, taken to France at the age of 16, ends up becoming a very successful general in the French Revolutionary Army. Mm-hmm and then in the Napoleonic army and it is the most fascinating story. It has lots of what my husband Bob calls Hey Mabel moments like, hey Mabel, you gotta listen to this. (laughs) And you know he read it first and throughout his reading kept doing that to me. Judy listen to this. Often the footnotes which are just as interesting as the text and then I read it probably six months later and despite the fact that I knew he'd read it. I could not resist doing the same thing, which he thoroughly enjoyed hearing again. So I'd highly recommend it. It made me happy because it was just so darn fascinating. Thanks.
0: Yeah, it's a wonderful, it's a wonderful biography and that someone can take a life that we, would not even we know we know nothing about that we would not be interested in if someone said oh would you like to read a biography of you know Dumas father Dumas père um, we would say no or why would we you know but then you have this delightful book um, that not that not only talks about this very interesting man but gives you. A really total picture of the time period and and what was going on at all levels of society and um, yeah it's it's great I highly recommend it
1: I will uh, put all these books up on the uh, on our Facebook page and on our homepage thatstackofbooks.com so that you can find them you can also follow us on Twitter at thatstack we're going to be back at the Brian Corner Cafe again next week. Do you, have a, do you have any thoughts on a topic yet?
0: No, so if anyone has a suggestion for a topic, let me. Oh, Christopher. How
1: about depressing books to read <laughs> during the summertime when it's safe for your mental health? Uh,
0: okay.
6: That's
1: pretty good. Okay. You know, Nancy and I had many uh, a conversation about books that I, that I didn't think were appropriate to read in the summer. Those were those, it was those books so i think it's funny that you're saying we should read them in the summer because i would always say let's not read them now is the time because you want to be depressed no because it's safe to read them right if the book becomes too much we can walk outside it's 84 degrees on april 19th it's a good time to read the heavy books Uh,
0: so before we end i just have to say uh based because judy talked about the biography Um, uh, uh, called The Black Count. Here's another book for those of you who love history and love biographies of little-known people that are just fabulous. um, It's called Dancing to the Precipice and it's by um, a really a really excellent writer who you would do far worse than read all of her books, um, named Caroline Moorhead, M-O-O-R-E-H-E-A-D. And it's a biography of a woman who lived, in fact, at the same time period that your your uh, man lived at. It's a biography of a woman named Lucy de la Tour Dupont, and her... And her experiences in the French Revolution, her her living for a while in the United States, knowing Lafayette, um, and 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 it's told in such a wonderful way. Um, it's just one of those exemplary biographies that that you just. Uh, I think it has a lot of Hey Mabel moments, and I'm going to use that. Is that okay? Yes. Okay.
1: I would like that to sometime be a topic of. Discussion. Books that have Hey Mabel moments. Hey Mabel
0: (laughs) moments, okay.
1: Hey Mabel. Uh, Mabel is just, you know, the stand in for anybody. Hey, hey pal.
0: Hey Mabel, you gotta hear this.
1: (laughs) All right, good. All right, always another book. Thank you all. Thanks for being here.